0: It's
1: a beautiful Wednesday here at the Peak of Recorded Human Civilization. It's meaning stream two, three, four. You're listening to the sounds of a nice beat that I just made. Oh, It's a beat in progress. Doesn't have any fills on it yet. It's it's very, very simple, but honestly, it's beautiful, isn't it? I just had this on for like the past hour. Just like slightly messing with the snare drum. Wee. So nice. Brr-dum. Hey. Whoa. Need some sleigh bells on it, you know, it's for the Christmas album. Hey. Vibes. Straight vibes. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here for the Dune Wave audio movie, audio book club, Path of Righteousness, back to Arrakis. We're going back to Arrakis, baby. We're taking a break from the uh, Machiavellian political machinations of uh, planet Earth. You're going to go to check out the political machination, the Machiavellian political machinations on the desert planet Arrakis. You know, where they got giant worms. What do we got? Giant assholes. <laughs> hey! Do, 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 do. Shouts out to everyone in? how are you all feeling? Smash that like. Smasheth ye, they, yonder like uh, contraption. Let me get the chat up on the screen. Make some noise for yourselves. I'm gonna throw the chat up on the screen. Bye, Joe. On this beat, people always say that when they post instrumentals on their Instagrams. Who do, what rap did you hear on this beat? Everyone always goes, Little Luzie. Everyone hears Little Luzie on every beat, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Feels like it works. What up, Michael Arkhenja? What up, EOD Army Chip? What up, Zach Sousa? What up, Melinda Cave? What up, John McGuffey? What up, Post Life Fitness? What up, Michael Dot Drill? Zack Suit Yeah, Sheila D, Mimi B huh. Mimi B says, hey Akira My grandmother passed away today so can we all take a moment of silence for her God bless. God bless you, Mimi And God bless you, Mimi B's grandmother. I lost my grandmother at Christmas. I love my grandmother. She in the studio next door. Her ashes out. She always wanted to come to America, you know? Now she here. Uh, my wife lost her grandmother last week. Great grandmother. No, grandmother. Yeah. I was, re- I was very blessed, lucky and uh, blessed to have met her. Shouts out to all the grandmothers. Shouts out to all the mothers. Shouts out to all the meaning babies. God bless everybody. It's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world and we just only get to be here for like a little moment, you know? Pew, pew. I just think about those summer fruit flies or whatever, you know? That like live for just like two days, just live for like a couple days, you know. You have about them ones, you got those ones that only live for like a few hours or something. Like imagine you get born in the middle of a rainstorm. You just think that's the world. You're like this little thing, giant water blobs just like smashing down on you like cannonballs from every direction, you know. You think that's the world. What a world. A day to a man, what is it? A day to a god is unto a thousand years. Sign. God bless, everybody make some noise in the chat. For the ancestors. For those that came before us and bequeathed us this miracle. It is our sacred duty to uphold this, this miracle, to keep this miracle in, in fine shape, you know? Not squander this miracle. People fought and bled and died so that we could have this. You know? This miracle this little piece of freedom you know we gotta hold on to that we gotta celebrate that we gotta celebrate this miracle that my grandma and your grandma and Mimi B's grandma bequeathed us thank you I'm enjoying that beat. I think that beat is lovely. I'm very glad I made it. Shout out to today. Today was a good day. I made uh, I made like another three or four tracks. Another three or four tracks. Uh had a couple conversations with a couple people, helped calm them down, you know. Sometimes you, you have to do that, right? Sometimes you have to like have the conversations and show your friends out, and give them a bit of, bit of perspective. say good. Grueling class revealing their true form. Good. Eyes wide open baby.
0: Hey.
1: Sounds like this I think. What would Hunter S. Thompson make of all this? What would Terence McKenna make of all this? You probably guess. You can probably make an a, a, a educated guess. M.A. Zui makes some noise to Terrence McKenna.
0: Yeah.
2: Don't even listen to NPR. Create your own roadshow. The nexus of space and time, where you are now, is the most immediate sector of... Your universe. And if you're worrying about Michael Jackson or Bill Clinton or somebody else, then you are disempowered. You're giving it all away to icons. Icons which are maintained by an electronic media so that you want to dress like X or have lips like Y. This is shit-brained, this kind of thinking. That, that, that is all cultural diversion And what is real. You? your friends and your association, your, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears, and we're told no, we're unimportant, we're peripheral, get a degree, get a job, get a this, get a that, and then you're a player, you don't even want to play in that game. out of the bones of a dying world where is that ass where is that at? yeah where is that at? catalyst to say what has never been said to see what has never been seen to draw paint things go dance the what has never before been done to say what has never been said, to see, what has never been seen, to draw anything things, go down to that, what, what has never, never before been done, been done. Whoa,
1: okay. reclaim your mind, reclaim your mind,
0: reclaim your Say
2: what has never been said to see what has never been seen. Draw, paint, sing, sculpt, dance and act. What has never before been done? To say what has never been said. To see what has never been seen. Draw, paint, sing, sculpt, dance and act. What has never before been done?
1: Reclaim your mind Everybody, see makes some noise, for cracking. We about to get into it, we're going back to Iraq. For uh, so. the Meaning Wave Live Audio Movie, Audio Book Club. D-U-N-E. D-U-N-E-Dune. Akashic Linda, what's cracking, says, it's a spiritual thing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is by Joe. Blah, what up, Pebble Philosophy? Shouts out to everybody locked in life. We're about to get into it. What up, Scott? Hi. Before we do, we got a thing we like to do around here called the International High Five. It binds us together across space and time. Is the energies of the MAZ. Give some to the people by Joe. Day of the International High Five. Let me know where you're at and give me your best recap of the story so far. For those that were not here for previous episodes of the DUNE Audio Movie Audio Book Club. Let me know where you're at And give me a recap Could be a one word recap Could be a three word recap Could be a 17 word recap What up Mimi? says, bless everyone in the chat Amen Amen Word X piece is Perfect Terence vibes for right now Ain't it just Reclaim your mind up, Purple Philosophy says, you are the shit, you are the shit. Scott Coughlin says, this track is glorious. God bless you. Did I read that already? What up, Zack Sousa, Indoor Intrigue? <laughs> exactly. Previously on DUNE, Indoor Intrigue. What up, D-Lars, Akira, spreading the vibes through the intergalactical space web? The Chad, what am I to do with an elf? Good question. Was indeed. John Grady. Recap: Sabotage is afoot. The Messiah begins to see his place in the prophecy. Now we're talking about Dune, not the. Oh, oh yeah. Hey. Yes. <laughs> I don't speak Frank Herbert is a genius that's just facts sodratage the just walk an open-eyed into a trap laid by the unjust sort wheat from chaff and prepare that's right that's good John McGarvey I'm still in Idaho at the end of the last episode I was not as drunk as Duncan Idaho Hey. heyroom. <laughs> What up John Grady Macione? Does anyone know about bonsai trees? I had one when I was 14. It died. They're picky little buggers. They defy evolutionary theory. They cannot survive. My God. Kyla Sherrod. What's cracking? What about Richard Young? John Grady, Akira. I need you to know Frank Herbert met Paul Stamets. The worm life cycle is based on mushrooms. That's interesting. You're gonna have to look into that. I've been researching your boy Stamets for uh, upcoming epic activities. You already know. Sabotage. Traps. Wheat. Chaff. Spice. Bringing out wet towels. Dune. Yeah. Da-da-da. BOD, army D'Armichick currently in Fla Fla. Again, I have been very busy. Shouts out to you. Cindy Bailey, California Stiff Drinks were involved. Previously on DUNE. Stiff Drinks. Worms. Intrigue. Drunk Guy. Sabotage. All manner. All manner baby, let's take it right back, all the way back, to Iraq for the wave Live audio book club experience, MAZ make some noise in the chat, we're gonna do that international high five and it's gonna power you up and it's gonna give you all the power you need. All the power you need to withstand the barrage of horrorism that's, uh, you know, been, been barraging you for a long time, you know? They've been relentless in their barrage, and they're just increasing the pressure right now, and, um, you know, they can go fuck themselves, obviously. Yeah! Three, two, one.
0: Hold oh, the line!
1: the international high five hold that international high five line right there take it in it's yours baby all that all that high five energy that's yours now you get that you get to keep that use it wisely i know you will
3: to the deep, old-fashioned armchair with an embroidered cover of schlag-skin, moved the chair into position to command the door. She was suddenly very conscious of the Chris knife in its sheath on her leg. She removed the sheath and strapped it to her arm, tested the drop of it. Once more she glanced around the room, placing everything precisely in her mind against any emergency. The chaise near the corner, the straight chairs along the wall, the two low tables, her stand mounted zither beside the door to her bedroom. Pale rose light glowed from the suspensor lamps. She dimmed them, sat down in the armchair, patting the upholstery, appreciating the chair's regal heaviness for this occasion. Now let him come, she thought. We shall see what we shall see. And she prepared herself in the Bene Gesserit fashion for the wait, accumulating patience, saving her strength. Sooner than she had expected, a rap sounded at the door, and Howatt entered at her command. She watched him without moving from the chair, seeing the crackling sense of drug-induced energy in his movements, seeing the fatigue beneath. Howatt's roomy old eyes glittered. His leathery skin appeared faintly yellow in the room's light, and there was a wide, wet stain on the sleeve of his knife arm. She smelled blood there. Jessica gestured to one of the straight-backed chairs, said, Bring that chair and sit facing me. Howard bowed, obeyed. That drunken fool of an Idaho, he thought. He studied Jessica's face, wondering how he could save the situation. It's long past time to clear the air between us, Jessica said. What troubles my lady? He sat down placed hands on knees. "'Don't play coy with me,' she snapped. "'If Yui didn't tell you why I summoned you, then one of your spies in my household did. Shall we be at least that honest with each other?' "'As you wish, my lady.' First, you will answer me one question,' she said. "'Are you now a Harkonnen agent?' Howard surged half out of his chair, his face dark with fury, demanding, You dare insult me so? Sit down, she said. You insulted me so. Slowly he sank back into the chair. And Jessica, reading the signs of this face that she knew so well, allowed herself a deep breath. It isn't Howard." Now I know you remain loyal to my duke she said. I'm prepared, therefore, to forgive your affront to me. Is there something to forgive? Jessica scowled, wondering, shall I play my trump? Shall I tell him of the Duke's daughter I've carried within me these few weeks? No. Leto himself doesn't know. This would only complicate his life, divert him in a time when he must concentrate on our survival. There is yet time to use this. A truth would solve this, she said, but we have no truth qualified by the high board. As you say, we've no truth Is there a traitor among us? she asked. I've studied our people with great care. Who could it be? Not Gurney. Certainly not Duncan. Their lieutenants are not strategically enough placed to consider. It's not you, Thufur. It cannot be Paul. I know it's not me. Dr. Yui, then. Shall I call him in and put him to the test? You know that's an empty gesture, Howard said. He's conditioned by the High College, that I know for certain. Not to mention that his wife was a Bene Gesserit slain by the Harkonnens, Jessica said. So, that's what happened to her, Howard said. Haven't you heard the hate in his voice when he speaks the Harkonnen name? You know I don't have the ear, Howard said. What brought this base suspicion on me, she asked. Howard frowned. My lady puts her servant in an impossible position. My first loyalty is to the duke. I'm prepared to forgive much because of that loyalty, she said. And again I must ask, is there something to forgive? Stalemate, she asked. He shrugged. Let us discuss something else for a minute, then, she said. Duncan Idaho, the admirable fighting man whose abilities at guarding and surveillance are so esteemed. Tonight he overindulged in something called spice beer. I hear reports that others among our people have been stupefied by this concoction. Is that true? You have your reports, my lady. So I do. Don't you see this drinking as a symptom, Thufir? My lady speaks riddles. Apply your mentat abilities to it, she snapped. What's the problem with Duncan and the others? I can tell you in four words. They have no home. He jabbed a finger at the floor. Arrakis, that's their home. Arrakis is an unknown. Caladan was their home, but we've uprooted them. They have no home, and they fear the Duke's failing them. He stiffened. Such talk from one of the men would be cause for— Oh, stop that, Thufa! Is it defeatist or treacherous for a doctor to diagnose a disease correctly? My only intention is to cure the disease. The Duke gives me charge over such matters, but you understand I have a certain natural concern over the progress of this disease, she said, and perhaps you'll grant I have certain abilities along these lines. Will I have to shock him severely? She wondered. He needs shaking up, something to break him from routine. There could be many interpretations for your concern, Howard said. He shrugged. Then you've already convicted me? Of course not, my lady. But I cannot afford to take any chances, the situation being what it is. A threat to my son got past you right here in this house, she said. Who took that chance? His face darkened. I offered my resignation to the duke. Did you offer your resignation to me, or to Paul?" Now he was openly angry, betraying it in quickness of breathing, in dilation of nostrils, a steady stare, she saw a pulse beating at his temple. "'I'm the duke's man,' he said, biting off the words. "'There is no traitor,' she said. "'The threat's something else.' Perhaps it has to do with the lace guns. Perhaps they'll risk secreting a few lace guns with timing mechanisms aimed at house shields. Perhaps they'll— And who could tell after the blast if the explosion wasn't atomic? He asked. No, my lady. They'll not risk anything that illegal. Radiation lingers. The evidence is hard to erase. No, they'll observe most of the forms. It has to be a traitor. You're the Duke's man, she sneered. Would you destroy him in the effort to save him? He took a deep breath then. If you are innocent, you will have my most abject apologies. Look at you now, Thufir, she said. Humans live best when each has his own place, when each knows where he belongs in the scheme of things. Destroy the place and destroy the person. You and I, Thufir, of all those who love the Duke, are most ideally situated to destroy the other's place. Could I not whisper suspicions about you into the duke's ear at night? When would he be most susceptible to such whispering, Thufir? Must I draw it for you more clearly? You threaten me? he growled. Indeed not. I merely point out to you that someone is attacking us through the basic arrangement of our lives. It's clever, diabolical. I propose to negate this attack. By so ordering our lives that there'll be no chinks for such barbs to enter. You accuse me of whispering baseless suspicions? Baseless? Yes. You'd meet this with your own whispers? Your life is compounded of whispers, not mine, Thufir. Then you question my abilities. She sighed. Thufir, I want you to examine your own emotional involvement in this the natural humans and animal without logic. Your projections of logic unto all affairs is unnatural, but suffered to continue for its usefulness. You're the embodiment of logic, a mentat, yet your problem solutions are concepts that in a very real sense are projected outside yourself, there to be studied and rolled around, examined from all sides. You think now to teach me my trade? He asked. And he didn't try to hide the disdain in his voice. ''Anything outside yourself, this you can see and apply your logic to it,'' she said. ''But it's a human trait that when we encounter personal problems, those things most deeply personal are the most difficult to bring out for our logic to scan. We tend to flounder around, blaming everything but the actual deep-seated thing that's really chewing on us. You're deliberately attempting to undermine my faith in my abilities as a mentat, he rasped. Were I to find one of our people attempting thus to sabotage any other weapon in our arsenal, I should not hesitate to denounce and destroy him. The finest mentats have a healthy respect for the error factor in their computations, she said. I've never said otherwise. Then apply yourself to these symptoms we've both seen. Drunkenness among the men quarrels, they gossip and exchange wild rumors about Arakas. they ignore the most simple idleness no more, he said. Don't try to divert my attention by trying to make a simple matter appear mysterious. She stared at him, thinking of the Duke's men rubbing their woes together in the barracks until you could almost smell the charge there, like burnt insulation. They're becoming like the men of the pre-guild legend, she thought, like the men of the lost star-searcher Ampolilos, sick at their guns, forever seeking, forever prepared, and forever unready. Why have you never made full use of my abilities in your service to the duke? She asked. Do you fear a rival for your position? He glared at her, the old eyes blazing. I know some of the training they give you, Bene Gesserit. He broke off, scowling. "'Go ahead, say it,' she said. "'Bene Gesserit witches.' "'I know something of the real training they give you,' he said. "'I've seen it come out in Paul. "'I'm not fooled by what your schools tell the public. "'You exist only to serve.' "'The shock must be severe, and he's almost ready for it,' she thought. "'You listen respectfully to me in council,' she said. "'Yet you seldom heed my advice. Why?' "'I don't trust your benegesserate motives,' he said. "'You may think you can look through a man. You may think you can make a man do exactly what you—' "'You poor fool, Thufa!' she raged. He scowled, pushing himself back in the chair. "'Whatever rumours you've heard about our schools,' she said, "'the truth is far greater. "'If I wished to destroy the Duke, or you, "'or any other person within my reach, you could not stop me.' Then she thought, Why do I let pride drive such words out of me? This is not the way I was trained. This is not how I must shock him." Howard slipped a hand beneath his tunic, where he kept a tiny projector of poison darts. She wears no shield, he thought. Is this just a brag she makes? I could slay her now, but uh, the consequences if I'm wrong. Jessica saw the gesture toward his pocket, said, "'Let us pray violence shall never be necessary between us.' A worthy prayer, he agreed. Meanwhile, the sickness spreads among us, she said. I must ask you again, isn't it more reasonable to suppose the Harkonnens have planted this suspicion to pit the two of us against each other? We appear to have returned to stalemate, he said. She sighed, thinking he's almost ready for it. The Duke and I are father and mother surrogates to our people, she said. The position, he hasn't married you, Howard said. She forced herself to calmness, thinking a good riposte that. But he'll not marry anyone else, she said, not as long as I live. And we are surrogates, as I've said. To break up this natural order in our affairs, to disturb, disrupt, and confuse us, which target offers itself most enticingly to the Harkonnens?" He sensed the direction she was taking, and his brows drew down in a lowering scowl. "'The Duke?' she asked. "'Attractive target, yes, but no one with the possible exception of Paul is better guarded.' "'Me? I tempt them, surely, but they must know the Bene Gesserit make difficult targets. And there's a better target, one whose duties create, necessarily, a monstrous blind spot.' one to whom suspicion is as natural as breathing, one who builds his entire life on innuendo and mystery. She darted her right hand toward him. You! Hawat started to leap from his chair. I have not dismissed you, Thufar, she flared. The old Mentat almost fell back into the chair, so quickly did his muscles betray him. She smiled without mirth. Now you know something of the real training they give us, she said tried to swallow in a dry throat. Her command had been regal, peremptory, uttered in a tone and manner he had found completely irresistible. His body had obeyed her before he could think about it. Nothing could have prevented his response, not logic, not passionate anger, nothing. To do what she had done spoke of a sensitive, intimate knowledge of the person thus commanded, a depth of control he had not dreamed possible. I have said to you before that we should understand each other, she said. I meant you should understand me. I already understand you. And I tell you now that your loyalty to the Duke is all that guarantees your safety with me." He stared at her, wet his lips with his tongue. If I desired a puppet, the Duke would marry me, she said. He might even think he did it of his own free will. Howard lowered his head looked upward through his sparse lashes. Only the most rigid control kept him from calling the guard—control, and the suspicion now that woman might not permit it. His skin crawled with the memory of how she had controlled him. In the moment of hesitation she could have drawn a weapon and killed him. Does every human have this blind spot, he wondered. Can any of us be ordered into action before he can resist? The idea staggered him. Who could stop a person with such power? You've glimpsed the fist within the Bene Gesserit glove, she said. Few glimpse it and live. And what I did was a relatively simple thing for us. You've not seen my entire arsenal. Think on that. Why aren't you out destroying the Duke's enemies? he asked. "'What would you have me destroy?' she asked. "'Would you have me make a weakling of our duke, "'have him forever leaning on me?' "'But with such power! "'Power's a two-edged sword, Thufir,' she said. "'You think how easy for her to shape a human tool "'to thrust into an enemy's vitals. "'True, Thufir, even into your vitals. "'Yet what would I accomplish? "'If enough of us Bene Gesserit did this, "'wouldn't it make all Bene Gesserit suspect? "'We don't want that, Thufir.' We do not wish to destroy ourselves," she nodded. We truly exist only to serve. I cannot answer you," he said. You know I cannot answer. You'll say nothing about what has happened here to anyone, she said. I know you through her. My lady. Again the old man tried to swallow in a dry throat, and he thought, she has great powers, But would these not make her an even more formidable tool for the Harkonnens? The duke could be destroyed as quickly by his friends as by his enemies, she said. I trust now you'll get to the bottom of this suspicion and remove it. If it proves baseless, he said. If, she sneered, if, he said. You are tenacious, she said. Cautious, he said, and aware of the error factor. Then I'll pose another question for you. What does it mean to you that you stand before another human, that you are bound and helpless, and the other human holds a knife at your throat, yet this other human refrains from killing you, frees you from your bonds, and gives you the knife to use as you will? She lifted herself out of the chair, turned her back on him. You may go now, Thufer. The old Mentat arose, hesitated, hand creeping toward the deadly weapon beneath his tunic. He was reminded of the bull ring, and of the duke's father, who'd been brave, no matter what his other failings. And one day of the Corrida long ago. The fierce black beast had stood there, head bowed, immobilized and confused. The old duke had turned his back on the horns, cape thrown flamboyantly over one arm, while cheers rained down from the stands. I am the bull, and she the matador, how a thought. He withdrew his hand from the weapon, glanced at the sweat glistening in his empty palm. And he knew that whatever the facts proved to be in the end, he would never forget this moment nor lose this sense of supreme admiration for the Lady Jessica. Quietly, he turned and left the room. Jessica lowered her gaze from the reflection in the windows, turned and stared at the closed door. Now, we'll see some proper action, she whispered.
4: Do you wrestle with dreams? Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You tarried with trifles, victim of your folly. Dirge for Jamis on the funeral plane from. Songs of Muad'Dib, by the Princess Irulan.
3: Leto stood in the foyer of his house, studying a note by the light of a single suspensor lamp. Dawn was yet a few hours away, and he felt his tiredness. A Fremen messenger had brought the note to the outer guard just now as the Duke arrived from his command post. The note read, A column of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. There was no signature. What does it mean?" he wondered. The messenger had gone without waiting for an answer, and before he could be questioned. He had slipped into the night like some smoky shadow. Leto pushed the paper into a tunic pocket, thinking to show it to Howat later. He brushed a lock of hair from his forehead, took a sighing breath. The anti-fatigue pills were beginning to wear thin. It had been a long two days since the dinner party, and longer than that since he had slept. On top of all the military problems, there'd been the disquieting session with Howard, the report on his meeting with Jessica. "'Should I waken, Jessica?' he wondered. "'There's no reason to play the secrecy game with her any longer, or is there?' "'Blast and damn that, Duncan, Idaho!' He shook his head. "'No, not Duncan. I was wrong not to take Jessica into my confidence from the first. I must do it now, before more damage is done.' The decision made him feel better, and he hurried from the foyer through the great hall and down the passages toward the family wing. At the turn where the passages split to the service area, he paused. A strange mewling came from somewhere down the service passage. Leto put his left hand to the switch on his shield belt, slipped his kinjal into his right hand. The knife conveyed a sense of reassurance. That strange sound had sent a chill through him. Softly the Duke moved down the service passage, cursing the inadequate illumination. The smallest of suspensors had been spaced about eight metres apart along here and tuned to their dimmest level. The dark stone walls swallowed the light. A dull blob stretching across the floor appeared out of the gloom ahead. Leto hesitated, almost activated his shield, but refrained because that would limit his movements, his hearing, and because the captured shipment of laser guns had left him filled with doubts. Silently he moved toward the grey blob, saw that it was a human figure, a man face down on the stone. Leto turned him over with a foot, knife poised, bent close in the dim light to see the face. It was the smuggler, Tuek, a wet stain down his chest. The dead eyes stared with empty darkness. Leto touched the stain, warm. How could this man be dead here? Leto asked himself, who killed him? The mewling sound was louder here. It came from ahead and down the side passage, to the central room where they had installed the main shield generator for the house hand on belt switch. Kinjal poised, the duke skirted the body, slipped down the passage, and peered around the corner toward the shield generator room. Another grey blob lay stretched on the floor a few paces away, and he saw at once this was the source of the noise. The shape crawled toward him with painful slowness, gasping, mumbling. Leto stilled his sudden constriction of fear, darted down the passage, crouched beside the crawling figure. It was Mapes, the fremen housekeeper. Her hair tumbled around her face, clothing disarrayed. A dull shininess of dark stains spread from her back along her side. He touched her shoulder, and she lifted herself on her elbows, head tipped up to peer at him. The eyes, black, shadowed, emptiness. It's "You," she gasped. "Killed. Guard. Sent. Get. To a- escape. Milady. You." You here No. She flopped forward, her head thumping against the stone. Lito felt for pulse at the temples. There was none. He looked at the stain. She'd been stabbed in the back. Who? His mind raced. Did she mean someone had killed a guard? And Tuak had Jessica sent for him? Why? He started to stand up. A sixth sense warned him. He flashed a hand toward the shield switch. Too late. A numbing shock slammed his arm aside. He felt pain there, saw a dart protruding from the sleeve, sensed paralysis spreading from it up his arm. It took an agonizing effort to lift his head and look down the passage. Yui stood in the open door of the generator room. His face reflected yellow from the light of a single brighter suspensor above the door. There was stillness from the room behind him. No sound of generators. Yui, Leto thought. He sabotaged the house generators. We're wide open. Yui began walking toward him, pocketing a dart gun. Leto found he could still speak, gasped. Yui, how? Then the paralysis reached his legs and he slid to the floor with his back propped against the stone wall. Yui's face carried a look of sadness as he bent over, touched Leto's forehead. The Duke found he could feel the touch, but it was remote, dull. The drug on the dart is selective, Yui said. You can speak, but I'd advise against it. He glanced down the hall, and again bent over Leto, pulled out the dart, tossed it aside. The sound of the dart clattering on the stones was faint and distant to the Duke's ears. It can't be, Yui, Leto thought. He's conditioned. Lita whispered, I'm sorry, my dear duke, but there are things which will make greater demands than this. He touched the diamond tattoo on his forehead. I find it very strange myself, an override on my piratic conscience, but I wish to kill a man. Yes, I actually wish it. I will stop at nothing to do it. He looked down at the duke. Oh, not you, my dear duke. The Baron Harkonnen. I wish to kill the Baron. Baron. Ah, be quiet, please, my poor Duke. You haven't much time. That peg tooth I put in your mouth after the tumble at Narkal, that tooth must be replaced. In a moment, I'll render you unconscious and replace that tooth. He opened his hand, stared at something in it an exact duplicate. Its core shaped most exquisitely like a nerve. It would escape the usual detectors, even of fast scanning. But if you bite down hard on it, the cover crushes. Then, when you expel your breath sharply, you fill the air around you with a poison gas, most deadly. Leto stared up at Yui, seeing madness in the man's eyes, the perspiration along brow and chin. You were dead anyway, my poor duke, Yui said, but you will get close to the baron before you die. He'll believe you're stupefied by drugs beyond any dying effort to attack him, and you will be drugged and tied. But attack can take strange forms, and you will remember the tooth. The tooth, duke Leto Atreides, you will remember the tooth. The old doctor leaned closer and closer until his face and drooping moustache dominated Leto's narrowing vision. The tooth, Yui muttered. Why? Leto whispered. Yui lowered himself to one knee beside the duke. I made a shaitan's bargain with the baron, and I must be certain he has fulfilled his half of it. When I see him, I'll know. When I look at the Baron, then I will know, but I'll never enter his presence without the price. You're the price, my poor duke, and I'll know when I see him. My poor Juana taught me many things, and one is to see certainty of truth when the stress is great. I cannot do it always, but when I see the Baron, then I will know. Leto tried to look down at the tooth in Yui's hand. He felt this was happening in a nightmare. It couldn't be. Yui's purple lips turned up in a grimace. I'll not get close enough to the Baron, or I'd do this myself. No, I'll be detained at a safe distance. But you, ah, now, you, my lovely weapon, he'll want you close to him, to gloat over you, to boast a little. Leto found himself almost hypnotized by a muscle on the left side of Yui's jaw. The muscle twisted when the man spoke. Yui leaned closer. And you, my good duke, my precious duke, you must remember this tooth. He held it up between thumb and forefinger. It will be all that remains to you. Leto's mouth moved without sound, then refuse. Ah, no, you mustn't refuse, because in return for this small service, I'm doing a thing for you. I will save your son and your woman. No other can do it. They can be removed to a place where no Harkonnen can reach them. How save them? Lira whispered. By making it appear they are dead, by secreting them among people who draw knife at hearing the Harkonnen name, who hate the Harkonnens so much they'll burn a chair in which a Harkonnen has sat, salt the ground over which a Harkonnen has walked." He touched Leto's jaw. Can you feel anything in your jaw? The duke found that he couldn't answer. He sensed distant tugging, saw Yui's hand come up with the ducal signet ring. For Paul, Yui said, you'll be unconscious presently. Goodbye, my poor duke. When next we meet, we'll have no time for conversation. Cool remoteness spread upward from Leto's jaw across his cheeks. The shadowy hall narrowed to a pinpoint with Yui's purple lips centered in it. Remember the tool. Yui hissed.
4: The two. There should be a science of discontent. People need hard times and oppression to develop psychic muscles. From collected sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan.
3: Jessica awoke in the dark, feeling premonition in the stillness around her. She couldn't understand why her mind and body felt so sluggish. Skin raspings of fear ran along her nerves. She thought of sitting up and turning on a light, but something stayed the decision. Her mouth felt strange. Lump, 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 lump. It was a dull sound, directionless in the dark, somewhere. The waiting moment was packed with time with rustling needle-stick movements she began to feel her body, grew aware of bindings on wrists and ankles, a gag in her mouth. She was on her side, hands tied behind her. She tested the bindings, realized they were crimscal fiber, would only claw tighter as she pulled. And now she remembered. There had been movement in the darkness of her bedroom, something wet and pungent slapped against her face, filling her mouth, hands grasping for her she had gasped one indrawn breath, sensing the narcotic in the wetness. Consciousness had receded, sinking her into a black bin of terror. It has come, she thought. How simple it was to subdue the Bene Gesserit. All it took was treachery, how it was right. She forced herself not to pull on her bindings. This is not my bedroom, she thought. They've taken me someplace else. Slowly she marshaled the inner calmness she grew aware of the smell of her own stale sweat with its chemical infusion of fear. Where's Paul? she asked herself. My son, what have they done to him? Calmness. She forced herself to it, using the ancient routines. But terror remained so near. Leto, where are you, Leto? She sensed a diminishing in the dark. It began with shadows. Dimensions separated became new thorns of awareness. White, a line under a door. I'm on the floor. People walking. She sensed it through the floor. Jessica squeezed back the memory of terror. I must remain calm, alert, and prepared. I may get only one chance. Again she forced the inner calmness. The ungainly thumping of her heartbeats evened, shaping out time. She counted back. I was unconscious about an hour. She closed her eyes, focused her awareness onto the approaching footsteps. Four people. She counted the differences in their steps. I must pretend I'm still unconscious. She relaxed against the cold floor, testing her body's readiness, heard a door open, sensed increased light through her eyelids. Feet approached, someone standing over her. You are awake, rumbled a basso voice. Do not pretend. She opened her eyes. The Baron Vladimir Harkonnen stood over her. Around them, she recognized the cellar room where Paul had slept, saw his cot at one side, empty. Suspenser lamps were brought in by guards, distributed near the open door. There was a glare of light in the hallway beyond that hurt her eyes. She looked up at the Baron. He wore a yellow cape that bulged over his portable suspensers. The fat cheeks were two cherubic mounds beneath spider-black eyes. The drug was tiled he rumbled. We knew to the minute when you'd be coming out of it. How could that be, she wondered. They'd have to know my exact weight, my metabolism, my... Yui Such a pity you must remain gagged, the Baron said. We could have such an interesting conversation. is the only one it could be, she thought. How? The Baron glanced behind him at the door. Come in, Piter." She had never before seen the man who entered to stand beside the baron, but the face was known, and the man, Piter de Fries, the Mentat assassin. She studied him hawk features, blue ink eyes that suggested he was a native of Arrakis, but subtleties of movement and stance told her he was not, and his flesh was too well firmed with water. He was tall, though slender, and something about him suggested effeminacy. Such a pity we cannot have our conversation, my dear Lady Jessica, the Baron said. However, I'm aware of your abilities. He glanced at the mentat. Isn't that true, Biter? As you say, Baron, the man said. The voice was tenor. It touched her spine with a wash of coldness. She had never heard such a chill voice. To one with a Bene Gessire training, the voice screamed, Killer. I have a surprise for Pyter, the Baron said. He thinks he has come here to collect his reward, you, Lady Jessica. But I wish to demonstrate a thing, that he does not really want you. You play with me, Baron? Pyter asked, and he smiled. Seeing that smile, Jessica wondered that the Baron didn't leap to defend himself from this fighter. Then she corrected herself. The Baron couldn't read that smile. He didn't have the training. "'In many ways, Piter is quite naïve,' the Baron said. "'He doesn't admit to himself what a deadly creature you are, Lady Jessica. I'd show him, but it'd be a foolish risk.' The Baron smiled at Piter, whose face had become a waiting mask. "'I know what Piter really wants. "'Piter wants power.' "'You promised I could have her,' Piter said. "'The tenor voice had lost some of its cold reserve. "'Jessica heard the clue tones in the man's voice, "'allowed herself an inward shudder. "'How could the Baron have made such an animal out of the Mentat?' "'I give you a choice, Piter,' the Baron said. What choice? The Baron snapped fat fingers. This woman and exile from the Imperium, or the Duchy of Atreides on Arrakis to rule as you see fit in my name. Jessica watched the Baron's spider eyes study Piter. You could be Duke here in all but name, the Baron said. Is my Leto dead? Jessica asked herself. She felt a silent wail begin somewhere in her mind. The Baron kept his attention on the Mentat. Understand yourself, Piter. You want her because she was a duke's woman, a symbol of his power, beautiful, useful, exquisitely trained for her role. But an entire duchy, Piter. that's more than a symbol, that's the reality. With it you could have many women, and more. You do not joke with Piter? The Baron turned with that dancing lightness the suspensors gave him. Joke? I? Remember, I am giving up the boy. You heard what the traitor said about the lads' training. They are alike, this mother and son. Deadly, the Baron smiled. I must go now. I will send in the guard I've reserved for this moment. He's stone deaf. His orders will be to convey you on the first leg of your journey into exile. He will subdue this woman if he sees her gain control of you. He'll not permit you to untie her gag until you're off Arrakis. If you choose not to leave, he has other orders you don't have to leave piter said i've chosen (laughs) the baron chortled such quick decision can mean only one thing i will take the duchy piter said and jessica thought doesn't piter know the baron's lying to him but how could he know he's a twisted mentat the baron glanced down at jessica Is it not wonderful that I know Piter so well? I wagered with my master-at-arms that this would be Piter's choice. Ha! Well, i leave now. This is much better. Ah, much better. You understand, Lady Jessica? I had no rancor toward you. It's a necessity. Much better this way, yes, and I've not actually ordered you destroyed. When it's asked of me what happened to you, I can shrug it off in all truth. You leave it to me, then? Piter asked. The guard I send you will take your orders, the baron said. Whatever is done, I leave to you. He stared at Piter. Yes. There will be no blood on my hands here. It's your decision. Yes. I know nothing of it. You will wait until I've gone before doing whatever you must do. Yes, well, ah, yes, yes, good. He fears the questioning of a truth-sayer jessica thought who ah oh, the reverend mother gaius helen of course if he knows he must face her questions then the emperor is in on this for sure Ah, oh, my poor leto with one last glance at jessica the baron turned went out the door she followed him with her eyes thinking it's as the reverend mother warned too potent an adversary Two Harkonnen troopers entered. Another, his face a scarred mask, followed and stood in the doorway with drawn lace gun. The deaf one, Jessica thought, studying the scarred face. The Baron knows I could use the voice on any other man. Scarface looked at Piter. We've a boy in a litter outside. What are your orders? Piter spoke to Jessica. I thought of binding you by a threat held over your son, but I begin to see that would not have worked. I let emotion cloud reason. Bad policy for a mentat. He looked at the first pair of troopers, turning so the deaf one could read his lips. Take them into the desert, as the traitor suggested for the boy. His plan is a good one. The worms will destroy all evidence. Their bodies must never be found. You don't wish to dispatch them yourself? Scarface asked. He reads lips, Jessica thought. I follow my baron's example, Piter said. Take them where the traitor said. Jessica heard the harsh Mentat control in Piter's voice, thought he too fears the truth-sayer. Piter shrugged, turned, and went through the doorway. He hesitated there, and Jessica thought he might turn back for a last look at her, but he went out without turning. Me, I wouldn't like the thought of facing that truth-sayer after this night's work, Scarface said. You ain't likely ever to run into that old witch, one of the other troopers said. He went around to Jessica's head, bent over her. It ain't getting our work done standing around here chattering. Take her feet and... Why don't we kill him here? Scarface asked. Too messy, the first one said. Unless he wants to strangle him. Me, I likes a nice straightforward job. Drop him on a desert like that trader said. Cut him once or twice. Leave the evidence for the worms. Nothing to clean up afterwards. Yeah, well, I guess you're right, Scarface said. Jessica listened to them, watching, registering, but the gag blocked her voice, and there was the deaf one to consider. Scarface holstered his Lays gun, took her feet. They lifted her like a sack of grain, maneuvered her through the door, and dumped her onto a suspensor buoyed litter with another bound figure. As they turned her, fitting her to the litter, she saw her companion's face. Paul. He was bound, but not gagged. His face was no more than ten centimeters from hers, eyes closed, his breathing even. Is he drugged? she wondered. The troopers lifted the litter, and Paul's eyes opened the smallest fraction, dark slits staring at her. He mustn't try the voice, she prayed, the deaf god. Paul's eyes closed. He had been practicing the awareness breathing, calming his mind, listening to their captors. The deaf one posed a problem, but Paul contained his despair. The mind-calming Bene regimen his mother had taught him kept him poised, ready to expand any opportunity. Paul allowed himself another slit-eyed inspection of his mother's face. She appeared unharmed, gagged though. He wondered who could have captured her. His own captivity was plain enough to bed with a capsule prescribed by Huey, awakening to find himself bound to this litter. Perhaps a similar thing had befallen her. Logic said the traitor was Yui, but he held final decision in abeyance. There was no understanding it, a souk doctor a traitor. The litter tipped slightly as the Harkonnen troopers maneuvered it through a doorway into starlit night. A suspenser boy rasped against the doorway, then they were on sand, feet grating in it. A thopter wing loomed overhead, blotting the stars, the litter settled to the ground. Paul's eyes adjusted to the faint light. He recognized the deaf trooper as the man who opened the thopter door peered inside at the green gloom illuminated by the instrument panel. "'This the thopter we're supposed to use?' he asked, and turned to watch his companion's lips. "Is the one the trader said was fixed for desert work,' the other said. Scarface nodded. "'But it's one of them little liaison jobs. Ain't room in there for more'n them and two of us.' "'Two's enough,' said the litter-bearer, moving up close and presenting his lips for reading. We can take care of it from here on, Kinnett. The baron, he told me to make sure what happened to them two, Scarface said. What are you so worried about? Asked another trooper from behind the litter-bearer. She is a B'nai Gesserit witch, the deaf one said. They have powers. Ah, the litter-bearer made the sign of the fist at his ear. One of them, eh? Know what you mean? The trooper behind him grunted. She'll be worm meat soon enough. Don't suppose even a B'nai Gesserit witch has powers over one of them big worms, eh, Chigo? He nudged the litter-bearer. Yep, the litter-bearer said. He returned to the litter, took Jessica's shoulders. Come on, Kinnett, you can go along if you want to make sure what happens. It is nice of you to invite me, Chiggo," Scarface said. Jessica felt herself lifted, the wing shadow spinning, stars. She was pushed into the rear of the thopter, her crimskill fiber bindings examined, and she was strapped to... Paul was jammed in beside her, strapped securely, and she noted his bonds were simple rope. Scarface, the deaf one they called Kinnett, took his place in front. The litter bearer, the one they called Chigo, came around and took the other front seat. Kinnett closed his door, bent to the controls. The thopter took off in a wing-tucked surge, headed south over the shield wall. Chigo tapped his companion's shoulder, said, Why don't you turn around and keep an eye on them two? Sure you know the way to go? Kinnett watched Chigo's lips. I listened to the traitor same as you. Kinnett swiveled his seat. Jessica saw the glint of starlight on a lace gun in his hand. The thopter's light-walled interior seemed to collect illumination as her eyes adjusted, but the guard's scarred face remained dim. Jessica tested her seatbelt, found it loose. She felt roughness in the strap against her left arm, realized the strap had been almost severed would snap at a sudden jerk. Has someone been at this thopter preparing it for us? She wondered, who? Slowly she twisted her bound feet, clear of poles. Sure do seem a shame to waste a good-looking woman like this, Scarface said. You ever have any highborn types? He turned to look at the pilot. B'nai Gesserit ain't all highborn, the pilot said. But they all looks hiding. He can see me plain enough, Jessica thought. She brought her bound legs up onto the seat, curled into a sinuous ball, staring at Scarface. Real pretty she is, Kinnett said. He wet his lips with his tongue. Sure do seem a shame, he looked at Chigo. You thinking what I think you're thinking, the pilot asked. Who'd be to know, the guard asked. Afterwards. He shrugged. I just never had me no highborns. Might never get a chance like this one again. You lay a hand on my mother, Paul grated. He glared at Scarface. Hey! The pilot laughed. Cubs got a bark. Ain't got no bite, though. And Jessica thought, Paul's pitching his voice too high. It may work, though. They flew on in silence. These poor fools, Jessica thought, studying her guards and reviewing the Baron's words. They'll be killed as soon as they report success on their mission. The Baron wants no witnesses. The Thopter banked over the southern rim of the shield wall, and Jessica saw a moon-shadowed expanse of sand beneath them. This ought to be far enough, the pilot said. The traitor said to put him on the sand anywhere near the shield wall. He dipped the craft toward the dunes in a long falling stoop, brought it up stiffly over the desert surface. Jessica saw Paul begin taking the rhythmic breaths of the calming exercise. He closed his eyes, opened them. Jessica stared, helpless to aid him. He hasn't mastered the voice yet, she thought. If he fails... The Thopter touched sand with a soft lurch, and Jessica, looking north back across the shield wall, saw a shadow of wings settle out of sight up there. Someone's following us, she thought. Who? Then... The ones the Baron set to watch this pair, and there'll be watchers for the watchers, too. Chigo shut off his wing rotors. Silence flooded in upon them. Jessica turned her head. She could see out the window beyond Scarface a dim glow of light from a rising moon. A frosted rim of rock rising from the desert, sandblast ridges streaked its sides. Paul cleared his throat. The pilot said, Now, can it? I don't know, Chigo. Chigo turned, said, "'Ah, look!' he reached out for Jessica's skirt. "'Remove her gag!' Paul commanded. Jessica felt the words rolling in the air. The tone, the timbre, excellent, imperative, very sharp. A slightly lower pitch would have been better, but it could still fall within this man's spectrum. Chigo shifted his hand up to the band around Jessica's mouth, slipped the knot on the gag. "'Stop that!' Kinnett ordered. "'Ah, shut your trap!' Chico said. "'Her hands are tied!' He freed the knot and the binding dropped. His eyes glittered as he studied Jessica. Kinnett put a hand on the pilot's arm. Look, Chigo, no need to... Jessica twisted her neck, spat out the gag. She pitched her voice in low, intimate tones. Gentlemen, no need to fight over me. At the same time, she writhed sinuously for Kinnett's benefit. She saw them grow tense, knowing that in this instant they were convinced of the need to fight over her. Their disagreement required no other reason in their minds they were fighting over her she held her face high in the instrument glow to be sure kinnett would read her lips said you mustn't disagree they drew farther apart glanced warily at each other is any woman worth fighting over she asked by uttering the words by being there she made herself infinitely worth their fighting paul clamped his lips tightly closed forced himself to be silent There had been the one chance for him to succeed with the voice, now everything depended on his mother whose experience went so far beyond his own. Yeah, Scarface said, no need to fight over. His hand flashed toward the pilot's neck. The blow was met by a splash of metal that caught the arm and in the same motion slammed into Kenneth's chest. Scarface groaned, sagged backward against his door. Thought I was some dummy didn't know that trick, Chico said. He brought back his hand, revealing the knife. It glittered in reflected moonlight. Now for the cub, he said, and leaned toward Paul. No need for that, Jessica murmured. Chico hesitated. Wouldn't you rather have me cooperative? Jessica asked. Give the boy a chance. Her lip curled in a sneer. Little enough chance he'd have out there in that sand. Give him that and, she smiled, you could find yourself well rewarded. Chigo glanced left, right, returned his attention to Jessica. I've heard me, what can happen to a man in this desert, he said. Boy might find the knife a kindness. Is it so much, I ask? Jessica pleaded. You're trying to trick me, Chigo muttered. I don't want to see my son die, Jessica said. Is that a trick? Chigo moved back, elbowed the door latch. He grabbed Paul, dragged him across the seat, pushed him half out the door and held the knife posed. What'll you do, cub, if I cut your bonds? He'll leave here immediately and head for those rocks, Jessica said. Is that what you'll do, cub? Chigo asked. Paul's voice was properly surly. Yes. The knife moved down, slashed the bindings of his legs. Paul felt the hand on his back to hurl him down onto the sand, feigned a lurch against the doorframe for purchase, turned as though to catch himself, lashed out with his right foot. The toe was aimed with a precision that did credit to his long years of training, as though all of that training focused on this instant, almost every muscle of his body cooperated in the placement of it. The tip struck the soft part of Chigo's abdomen just below the sternum, slammed upward with terrible force over the liver and through the diaphragm to crush the right ventricle of the man's heart. With one gurgling scream, the guard jerked backward across the seats. Paul. Unable to use his hands, continued his tumble onto the sand, landing with a roll that took up the force and brought him back to his feet in one motion. He dove back into the cabin, found the knife, and held it in his teeth while his mother sawed her bonds. She took the blade and freed his hands. I could have handled him, she said. He'd have had to cut my bindings. That was a foolish risk. I saw the opening and used it, he said. She heard the harsh control in his voice, said, Yui's house sign is scrawled on the ceiling of this cabin. He looked up, saw the curling symbol. Get out and let us study this craft, she said. There's a bundle under the pilot's seat. I felt it when we got in. Bomb? Doubt it. There's something peculiar here. Paul leaped out to the sand, and Jessica followed. She turned, reached under the seat for the strange bundle, seeing Chigo's feet close to her face, feeling dampness on the bundle as she removed it, realizing the dampness was the pilot's blood. Waste of moisture, she thought, knowing that this was Arakin thinking. Paul stared around them, saw the rock scarp lifting out of the desert like a beach rising from the sea, wind-carved palisades beyond. He turned back as his mother lifted the bundle from the thopter, saw her stare across the dunes toward the shield wall. He looked to see what drew her attention, so another thopter swooping toward them realized they'd not have time to clear the bodies out of this thopter and escape. Run, Paul, Jessica shouted. It's Harkonnen's.
4: Arrakis teaches the attitude of the knife chopping off what's incomplete and saying now it's complete because it's ended here from collected sayings of Muad'Dib by the princess Irulan
3: a man in Harkonnen uniform skidded to a stop at the end of the hall stared in at Yui taking in at a single glance Mapes body the sprawled form of the Duke Yui standing there The man held a lace gun in his right hand. There was a casual air of brutality about him, a sense of toughness and poise that sent a shiver through Yui. Sadokar, Yui thought, a Bashar by the look of him. Probably one of the Emperor's own, sent here to keep an eye on things. No matter what the uniform, there's no disguising him. You're Yui, the man said. He looked speculatively at the souk school ring on the doctor's hair, stared once at the diamond tattoo, and then met Yui's eyes. I am Yui, the doctor said. You can relax, Yui, the man said. When you dropped the house shields, we came right in. Everything's under control here. Is this the duke? This is the duke. Dead? Merely unconscious, I suggest you tie him. Did you do for these others? He glanced back down the hall where Mapes' body lay. More's the pity, Yui muttered. Pity, the sardaukar sneered. He advanced, looked down at Leto. So that's the great red duke. If I had doubts about what this man is that would end them, Yui thought. Only the Emperor calls the Atreides the red dukes. The Sardaukar reached down, cut the Red Hawk insignia from Leto's uniform. Little souvenir, he said. Where's the ducal signet ring? He doesn't have it on him, Yui said. I can see that, the Sardaukar snapped. Yui stiffened, swallowed. "'If they press me, bring in a truth-sayer, "'they'll find out about the ring, "'about the doctor I prepared. "'All will fail.' "'Sometimes the duke sent the ring with a messenger "'as surety that an order came directly from him,' "'Yui said. "'Must be damned trusted messengers,' the Sardaukar muttered. "'Aren't you going to tie him?' "'Yui ventured. "'How long will he be unconscious?' Two hours or so. "'I wasn't as precise with his dosage "'as I was for the woman and boy.' The Sardaukar spurned the duke with his toe. This was nothing to fear even when awake. When will the woman and boy awaken? About ten minutes. So soon? I was told the Baron would arrive immediately behind his men. So he will. You'll wait outside, Yui. He shot a hard glance at Yui. Now! Yui glanced at Leto. What about? He'll be delivered to the Baron all properly trussed like a roast for the oven. Again the Sardaukar looked at the diamond tattoo on Yui's forehead. You're known. You'll be safe enough in the halls. We've no more time for chit-chat, traitor. I hear the others coming. Traitor, Yui thought. He lowered his gaze, pressed past the Sardaukar, knowing this as a foretaste of how history would remember him. Yui the traitor. He passed more bodies on his way to the front entrance and glanced at them, fearful that one might be Paul or Jessica. All were house troopers or wore Harkonnen uniform. Harkonnen guards came alert, staring at him as he emerged from the front entrance into flame-lighted night. The palms along the road had been fired to illuminate the house. Black smoke from the flammables used to ignite the trees poured upward through orange flames. "'It's the traitor,' someone said. "'The Baron will want to see you soon,' another said. "'I must get to the Thopter,' Yui thought. "'I must put the Ducal signet where Paul will find it,' and fear struck him. If Idaho suspects me, or grows impatient, if he doesn't wait and go exactly where I told him, Jessica and Paul will not be saved from the carnage. I'll be denied even the smallest relief from my act. The Harkonnen guard released his arm, said, Wait over there, out of the way. Abruptly, Yui saw himself as cast away in this place of destruction, spared nothing, given not the smallest pity. Idaho must not fail. Another guard bumped into him, barked, Stay out of the way, you!" "'Even when <laughs> they've profited by me, they despise me,' Yui thought. He straightened himself as he was pushed aside, regained some of his dignity. "'Wait for the Baron!' a guard officer snarled. Yui nodded, walked with controlled casualness along the front of the house, turned the corner into shadows out of sight of the burning palms. Quickly, every step betraying his anxiety, Yui made for the rear yard beneath the conservatory where the thopter waited, the craft they had placed there to carry away Paul and his mother.' A guard stood at the open rear door of the house, his attention focused on a lighted hall and men banging through there, searching from room to room. How confident they were! Huey hugged the shadows, worked his way around the thopter, eased open the door on the side away from the guard. He felt under the front seats, for the frem kit he had hidden there lifted a flap and slipped in the ducal signet. He felt the crinkling of the spice paper there, the note he had written, pressed the ring into the paper. He removed his hand, resealed the pack. Softly, Yui closed the sopter door, worked his way back to the corner of the house and around toward the flaming trees. Now it is done, he thought. Once more he emerged into the light of the blazing palms. He pulled his cloak around him, stared at the flames. Soon I will know. Soon I will see the Baron, and I will know. And the Baron, he will encounter a small tooth.
0: A small. Ah. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And I say, make some noise for the two.
1: Yo, Dune is getting deep baby, Dune is getting deep, the tooth. Feeling out that? Lights on. In the cinema of meaning. Phew, pew. Ooh. Ooh, that would be sweet. Oh man, what if I could like plunge this thing into darkness at certain points? That would be pretty cool. Alright, what up, Kara? Amazing! Amazing. Robert Easy says another great book club Wednesday by Joe. Feels like it works. <laughs> Feels like it works by Joe. Yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah, do Yeah, baby. That was deep. That was epic. Wow, wow, wow. What up, Prince Speaker's XP says that was a rad Dune Seth. Dune Seth. Hey, hey. Zach Souza says so much intrigue. I know, right? Oh my goodness. That shit was epic. That was crazy. Jessica woke up. My goodness. The whole thing. Every time we do one of these, I'm just really, really, like, struck by how heavily influenced George R.R. Martin was by Frank Herbert. And wow, I would never... No one talks about that. It's very strange. If you've read George R.R. Martin, it's, it's like... It's so similar, the way it's all put together. Uh, yo... Yo 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 What up Zach Souser Says I actually listened To the audiobook Before Akira started Doing a book club I finished it a week before But it's too good Not to listen to By Jove uh, Which version was it Was it this version Or the uh, more recent one uh, I think this is the best one uh, Prince Shabrika's XV Says just opened My Watts vinyl Thanks B Hey Yo Amazing How did that feel How was that Shouts out to that vinyl. It's so nice. It's so joyful. Shouts out to everyone who's sending me videos of them uh, playing their vinyl. Shouts out to everyone who's sending me pictures of them with their vinyl. Um, yeah, that's very beautiful. <laughs> actually, I was going to say, I want to post some of these on social media. So, yeah, sh- send them over. Um, where's the best place to send them? Put them in the Discord and then I'll find them. Or maybe, I don't know, send them however you want to send them. Instagram, Twitter. Twitter's actually very good. For some reason, I look at Twitter at certain points of the day. (laughs) Hey. Mashona says Ian M. Banks is dank AF2. I used to read Ian M. Banks when I was a little kid. And uh, oh man, who's the other guy? I used to read him, and who's the guy who did the Weird Stone of Brisingerman? Who was that? The Weird Stone of Brisingerman. It's weird that I can remember that title. I barely remember anything about the book. Alan Garner. That was it. Man, I might have to re I might have to re- revisit that. Yo. French Republic C V says opening that What's Way vinyl was very nice. Yo. Brian Z says what chapter was that last clip from? We're talking about
0: Dune.
1: I don't know. I don't know if the it's disc seven. I don't know if that that, uh, goes, if each disc is a chapter, it should be. I know. Yeah! Anyway, shouts out we I really looked in. Prince Shabika says, I think I got a mama done thank you sticky note. I sent to the Discord to cross examine. (laughs) Yeah, I think you did. I think you might have. God bless. Hey, well that's wonderful, that's really good news. And uh, I'm very happy to hear that. Shout out to everyone who's getting their uh, vinyl. That's very cool. Hold tight for an announcement. Announcement incoming. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. Man. Yeah, I can oh. We've got to wait a week for the next installment of Dune now. One of these days, we might, I might just straight up stand up here and do like five in a row or something by Jove. So intense. Anyway, thank you everyone for being here. You could have been, uh, you know... You could have been watching TV, you could have been watching The, uh, the ruling Class being creepy. Weird and creepy. Or oh, not. You are be doing something useful. Me, I've been making Christmas beats. It's nearly Christmas. Dan Davis says, yes please, five in a row. Five in a row. <laughs> I might, baby. I might. Huh? Whoa, that would be. You know, sometime sort of like I don't know about ten years ago or something, maybe a bit longer. I did a twenty-four hour live stream, and I made a, I made an album basically in a day. It was a mixtape. It was a twenty-four track mixtape. I had various people come around the career had, like Big Nasty and Chili Gonzalez, and various people come around. Made songs. I made all the beats. We like rapped all that type of thing. Did a 24 hour mix. It was cool. I was on Twitter. You know, we did a 17 hour one uh, earlier this year when we launched the What's Wave campaign. Was it to close it or launch it? I think it was to close it. It seems so long ago now. It's another world. But like, it would be kind of epic to like do a whole book in a day or something. Just like live score a whole book in a day. That'd be pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. What?! Well, thank you all for being here. Richard Young says 12 Rules for Life is only 10 hours. Yikes. Is the audiobook narrated by the Good Doctor? Surely, it must be. How long is Maps of Meaning? (laughs) That might be good. I want an excuse to listen to Maps of Meaning. What? Richard Young says, scratch that, it's 15 hours. Books are long. Audiobooks are even longer. I think I can read about five times as fast as I can hear, at least. Yeah, Brian Z said, I thought it was like 50 hours, Maps of Meaning. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, boom, I'm gonna get out of it. Got vibes to regulate, albums to finish. Got a new single dropping on Friday. Gotta make a music video for that by Jove! These weeks fly by so fast. Yo, hey, hey, hey! thank you all for being here tonight, it's a very rare occasion, Meanwhile Wave Live, audio book club, Dune, Dune, Dune. One day people will talk about this in hushed tones, I'll say oof, remember when Akira the Dawn used to do that Dune audio book club? It was so exclusive and rare, so cool, what a time to be alive. Now he's, the, now he's the king of Mars I miss those days Hey Shout out to everybody who supports The Wave you are, you are appreciated You are beloved, you are blessed If you want to support The Wave, go to meaningwave.com You can get a, you can get a shirt like this one uh, It says, do you know what it says? It says meaningwave exists on it and then, Do you know why? Do you know why it says that? Because it's true Meaningwave exists I went spelunking today, uh, I went to a cave, I just like to say spelunk. I went to a big ass Texas cave, Right? and I climbed up to the top of this cave, and I shouted really loud,
0: Meaty Wave exit yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. And it had that natural delay, you know, that natural delay in reverb, because it was a cave. I was like, yeah, this is exactly the sort of thing that everyone should be doing. If they want to support the wave, and you know, they can go to Meaningwave.com, they can buy shirts, they can get a Meaningwave monolith, they can go to Bandcamp, download the music, they can go to Patreon, become a member of the Patreon, they can become a member of the channel, on YouTube, they can make a donation via the link below, they can also go to a big ass cave and shout,
0: MEANING WAVE know
1: All these these Asians, mad noisy Asians, you know the way Asians on holiday can be mad noisy? That's they stopped they stopped being noisy to go oh, listen to the reverberations of the truth the truth yeah meaning wave exists Brian Z says lol I have this book but there are no chapter. the last bit was on page 218 in it there you go there you go after dune says Brian Z maybe you should do 1Q84 what's that I've never heard of that. Also a good book. Thank you for the recommendation. 1Q84. Hmm. Anyway, boom, we're getting out of here now. Thank you for being here. Bye, Jove bye, Jove. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. CT for the Ultra Turbo Party Joy Wave Mega Show. I think that's what I'll call it. I don't, it's <laughs> uh, Alejandro Fernandez says Asimov's Foundation Book Club next I love those books I love those Foundation books oh my goodness what wonderful books they are I think I've actually got an audiobook version of those narrated by the same guy yo oh man I got into Foundation purely like because um because of that Jar Jar Binks stuff you know because they ripped it off oh oh, oh. Oh, 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 it makes me so sad. Every time I think about what could have been with Jar Jar Binks, you know? Because, you know, he was supposed to be revealed in the, the second or the third film as, as being an evil Sith Lord, you know? Like the fool who tricked them all. But then everyone, everyone was so like uh, dis- hateful of uh, Jar Jar Binks, they hated on him so much, you know, that they, like, the powers that be were like, just just cut this character out and it's no good. Misa, no good. So then they had it be Count Doku. And you're like, where the fuck did this guy come from? Who's this guy? And why do all these robots look like Jar Jar Binks? And why is this spaceship the same the same shape as Jar Jar Binks' head? That shit is so crazy. When you rewatch those films, but you bear in mind that that's what was supposed to happen, it just fucks you up. Cause like, it would have been amazing. It would have been the greatest twist. Uh, it would have been better than The Sixth Sense. You know what's his name? The twist. m Night Shama, Lamading Ding Dong. He would have thrown himself off the Brooklyn Bridge. But oh, the glory of that twist, yo man. And they made George doubt himself. You know, George, a genius. God bless him. And they made George Lucas doubt himself. You know, and like, and then, then the sorrow of how how that whole thing was reacted to. Never listen to they, capital T H E Y. You know, he changed his plans because of they, and then no one was happy anyway. Then Kathleen Kennedy disgraced him. Luke George, Luke Ass, they they disgraced Luke Skywalker and made him suckle green tit milk. From a, from a, mer, uh, like a, like a sort of a, a fish camel. You know, like a, like a sort of sea camel. I suppose you could say a mer camel. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, mer camel. Guzzling green juice that was supposed to symbolize money, I guess. Like, ah, oh, you're coming back to... Get the money, aren't you? That Ryan Johnson guy is an absolutely crazy sadist fool. Oh my goodness. Those people are evil. Man, I could rant about that stuff all day, by Joe. I was going to buy five and I just got like caught in a wormhole. Like, ranting about pop culture nonsense. But it's not just pop culture nonsense. It's not just pop culture nonsense. These are our modern myths. You know, and they took our modern myths and, and they... Um, they drew willies all over them, you know? They treated them like a toilet wall. They drew rude things over them, they cut a hole in them and they stuck their junk in it. And... Oh, man. God bless. Anyway, I am getting out of here now, by Jove. Shout out to everybody, lucked in. Thank you for being here. See you in the morning. The sun will come up tomorrow, it will, contrary to uh, what you might have seen on CNN or some other place if you were in an airport, because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have, you're wouldn't. you only watching CNN if you're in an airport, right? God bless you all. Go to MeaningWave.com, buy yourself a shirt because you deserve it by Joe. Join me now for an international by five. Click, clap, blam. Three, two, one.